0: So we are going to start out with Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen through twenty. And Ashley, why don't you go ahead and read that for us? Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and Okay, so that is what we would call the Great Commission. It's what's what the words Great Commission don't actually appear in Scripture. But that is what we refer to as the Great Commission. And basically, that is Jesus's call to you and to each one of us to go and make disciples of all nations, right? And that is something that has not happened since he left this world in a comprehensive way. We've never seen the whole world discipled yet. We've never seen every nation discipled yet. But it's possible in our lifetimes. So as we get started, we're talking today again about basic discipleship. And I hope that this would be a foundation for you. And some of you have already done this. Hopefully all of you will get a chance to before you graduate. But basically, who's called to do discipleship? Wait, wait, no, 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 you guys. Who's called to do discipleship? I am. Okay. So you're kind of right when you say everybody, but we need to look at this as a call to me from Jesus, who had the authority to tell me to do this. Does that make sense? So this is not just a call to everybody collectively, but this is a call to you personally and individually from your Savior to go go and make disciples. This is not just for the gifted, right? This is not just for people that are good at it. And I'll tell you, my personal story is that I'm not super good at discipleship, I don't think. Uh, on my own, obviously, the Holy Spirit in me is great at discipleship, and so he can get it done. <laughs> but but when I think of somebody that's gifted with discipleship, I think of my wife Erin. I think Leah's is pretty gifted with discipleship too, and so there are a lot of you guys. Brandon, you are doing a, a great job this year, taking a big step in that area. I'm super excited to watch that. But it's not something that I felt supernatural with. But as I trusted God and depended on Him and allowed Him to fill me with His Spirit he gets that job done he does it so i wanted to do a quick graph here of some some t- a timeline and the population of the world actually i'm going to do it like this sorry guys but here is the population of the world 9 8 7 And then we're going to put now, today, at 6. This is 2010. We're somewhere around the 6 billion range. Okay? Now go ahead to 2020, 2030, 2040, and I'm going to put 2045. All right. This is why discipleship is so important. If we were to start doing discipleship now, multiplying once annually, just starting with, say, Brandon and Ashley, two of you, if you were to start doing it, you're both... Are you doing discipleship with anybody this year, Ashley? Not yet. Okay, so maybe if you started doing discipleship with somebody, and Brandon did too, and Brandon already is, and just the two of you did that once each year and trained the people that you were discipling to do that once each year, ten years from now, you would have... 1,024 people in the discipleship process. 1,024. That's a pretty big number. It's obviously on this scale of billions, it's not even off the baseline yet. It's pretty far down there. Uh, 20 years later, you're going to have 1,073,000. So 1,073,000 and that is going to be Somewhere up in here, but it's still going to be a thousandth of a billion, so it's still barely even showing up on the on the graph here, right? But you're staying persistent, and you're just doing this process once a year, multiplying once a year, multiplying once a year. Thirty years from now, when I am 62 years old and still hunting elk, hopefully, okay. Thirty years from now, there would be uh, ooh, there would be one billion. So this is this one million was one million. And 48,000, not 73. Sorry about that. And 30 years from now, you're going to have about 1 billion, 73 million in change. So we're going to be hitting this. Now we're showing up on the, on the radar, right, on, the, on this scale. We're hitting about the 7 billion mark in, uh, in 30 years, in about 2040. But that number again, guys, is doing what every year? Doubling every year. So in 2041, right here, we're going up to 8. Right? In 2042, we're going up near 9. Does that make sense? So within about 32, 33 years, after... It's actually going to go after we start, like supposing we started right now, doing this discipleship process that Jesus called us to... Okay, that's how it's going to look. It's going to be kind of an exponential curve like that. If we started right now just doing this process, guys, and we're committed to it for a lifetime, we might actually see this. And that actually, by the way, 9 billion, is about what the population is expected to be in the mid-2040s right to 2050s. In that range. So technically, guys, if we each were committed to this process of discipleship, the whole world could be one to Christ and discipled within our lifetimes. Is that exciting? <laughs> Is that worth getting kind of pumped about? That's why Jesus called us to make disciples. Right? He didn't call us, and I'm not saying these are wrong, and we're actually going to start talking about them next week, but he didn't call us to lead Bible studies. Right? That's a good thing. I mean, it's a good thing to do Bible studies, but Jesus never said go into all the world and start Bible studies. That's a part of the discipleship process. But he called us to make disciples. And that's the reason, because it's the only way that this whole world is going to be reached. And it's the only way that people get met where they're at. People have to grow with personal investment. That's how Jesus did it. That's how Paul did it. That's how everyone did it in Scripture. All right, guys? So that is why we're doing the funnel diagram. So I want to go into the funnel diagram again. And we're going to compare this to the discipleship process. And then we're going to share some notes, and we'll be done. So what's in the top of the funnel diagram? Meet people. people. If we don't meet people, we die as a ministry, right? Because it becomes us foreign no more, that whole idea. It becomes a little fishbowl mentality, and we we quit growing as soon as we quit meeting people. As soon as we meet people, we... share the gospel, expose them to the gospel, let the Holy Spirit work in their heart. We're going to have some different responses again. We're going to have not interested, we're going to have already Christian, we're going to have green fruit, we're going to have will pray, all right? The not interested, we talked about last week, we just keep hanging out with them, keep praying for them, and all that. Again, last week's notes are really important about that. Those that are already a Christian or are grain fruit or pray with you on the spot, those go into the next part of this process, which is called follow-up. Last week we talked about following up with grain fruit. How to follow up with somebody that's heard the gospel, they haven't yet made a decision to trust Christ, but you get to keep following up with them and working through their questions, working through their issues, helping them get to a point of trusting Christ. Remember that? Was that good last week? Did it help you kind of... See a lot of your relationships that you have with different students in context? Okay, so this week we're actually talking about the already Christians or the will pray. The people that either trust Christ the second they hear the gospel, or the people like Jake over here who we meet, it turns out he's already a believer, and he's actually in our praise band pretty much the first day we know him. Okay. Whoever these people are, whether they just trust Christ on the spot today whether they trust Christ after several weeks of hearing the gospel or whether they're already a believer, they need to be what? Disciple. Okay, now just to get some semantics straight, I would encourage you, and different ministries say this, and I get so frustrated when I hear it, and so I don't want you to have the same bad attitude I do. I try to give it to God every time. But when you hear somebody say, that is my disciple, how does that sound to you? It sounds terrible, huh? And I'm not saying that people that would use that phrase mean it that way. I don't think they do. I think they simply want to be faithful to Christ's command. But what I want to encourage you with is when you disciple somebody, you are helping them be a better Christ disciple. You're helping them be his disciple. They're not Jake's disciple, I hope, (laughs) because the world doesn't need more Jake or more Nate. Or any of us, right? So we're discipling them to be Christ's disciples. And hopefully we, at the start, are his disciples too. What's that? We should pray to put Christ on the throne. Gosh, you got it. Okay. Actually, I wanted to wait today. Because I wanted to get this funnel diagram. And it's going to be good. But uh, remind me if I forget it. Because the only way this process can happen, guys, is if the Holy Spirit is directing us. Right? And I actually put it in my notes a little different today with this funnel. Okay, so seriously, here we go. What comes out of the discipleship process? I'm going to put Jake here. Jake, can you emcee the retreat, by the way? Put you on the spot? Yes. You don't have to tell me I'm leading worship also, but okay. I can do both those. Okay, sweet. I that might be fun.
1: Okay, let's say Jake is leading a little
0: Bible study here. And Jake has these few guys. We're going to call this a what? Remember? Growth groups. Or before growth groups even. We do a, a Jesus group, right? Or we lay the foundation of Jesus Christ for people. Those are going to turn into growth groups. All right? Those are going to turn into action groups of actual leaders that have learned how to do a Bible study, they've learned how to do follow-up, they've learned how to share their faith, they've learned how to meet people, they've learned how to organize events and how to plan things, and now they're in a Bible study of action group leaders. I consider cross-training an action group. That's how I see this meeting right here, because you guys are all leaders and you're learning how to lead effectively. Right? This action group then has leaders that are leading other groups, maybe another growth group. Maybe another Jesus group. It's kind of like, you have two Bible studies you're leading. You have one Bible study you're leading. So we start to see multiplication happening, just like we saw on that graph. Do you see that? And then some of these guys actually start getting discipled by their leaders. Okay, these guys start getting discipled by their leaders. That's the funnel diagram. Then we put it all in a context of what did we say. Agape, unconditional love, and unconditional acceptance. That would be evidenced by true friendships. Lots of fun. All right? A lot of things like that. Real fellowship. Real fellowship is spurring each other on to love and good deeds. When you guys all went down to the soup kitchen, that was a fellowship. You guys probably got to love each other a lot more than you ever had as you encouraged each other to serve. Does that make sense? Uh, that's, what, that's what we would call the context of the funnel. If that's missing from this process, we're in trouble. When we were backpacking your elk out of the woods, we were having lots of fun. We were having true friendship. We were, we were struggling through something together, and it was a blast, all right? And we have a lot of tools that go in the process, and those tools make it happen. Tools like Connect, meetings, books, events, conferences, etc. All those help this whole process work. Now, if this process happens, the result is what we call multiplication. I want you guys to write a phrase down that Aaron and I have come to really love. And that phrase is multiplying spiritual multipliers. See, that process right there dies when you quit meeting people. That process dies when you quit sharing the good news with people. That process dies when you quit following up with people. That process dies when you quit having multiplying small groups where all those things are happening, right? That process dies if there isn't agape, unconditional love and acceptance, and that process dies when we don't have good tools to keep it running efficiently. That's what we are called to do as the body of Christ. Now, with that being said, I'm going to switch over here. I was going to do it on that side, but we ran out of room. What happens when you try to do that process with self on the throne? Fail. Fail! <laughs> oh, no, 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 Sorry, guys. Oh, we're getting out of time already. Holy cow. Fail. We have to write it red, right? Doesn't work. <laughs> right? But what happens when we do that process with Christ on the throne. Successful. What is it? Successful, possible. My marker isn't successful. That's right here. Sure. Success. Right. We actually can see multiplication happening. We actually can see this whole world one, one for Christ and disciple been made into, to followers of Jesus Christ. So let's pray with that in mind, Jake, since you remembered that we needed to put Christ on the throne to start today out. Yeah? Uh, let's do that. So let's start out by just putting Christ on the throne. Right, guys, thank you. You're so good. Um, thank you that you've allowed this time to get together. for want uh set this, uh, this action group, as they put it, uh, just where we can just learn to, uh, to be uh, effective out in the world, God, and uh, take the words you've given us, Lord, and just really Others. Um, I just pray that you'd be on the throne more than anything, um, and we would just be far, far, far down your feet, uh, just worshiping you, God, just trusting you. That's uh, your number, amen. amen. All right, so as you guys begin considering discipling somebody else, there are some huge considerations that each one of us should seriously think through. We're all called to this process, right? Is there any Christian that should not do discipleship? No one, right? What if they're insecure? They shouldn't discipleship. <laughs> what if they're afraid? What if they're an introvert? Should they not do discipleship if they are an introvert? Then I wouldn't be. Yeah, you wouldn't be. All right. So, you guys, today's notes are all from the intro to the teacher's edition of the discipleship packet. I wanted to print you guys all off copies, but my printer is dead as a doornail. It is completely dead. I have to get a new one. It's sad. And it's brand new, too, kind of. Just a few months out of warranty, unfortunately. But anyway, as we get going, here's the deal. As you consider discipling another person, uh, take to heart Jesus' investment in that person. He created them. He gave his blood for them. He loves them unconditionally. They're his son, his daughter, his child, right? He knows them as his sheep. They follow his voice. He thinks about them countless times a day. He's interested in their well-being. He seeks their best interests, and he desires that they would mature and bear fruit. He desires that they grow the way he's called them to grow. And incredibly, you've been given the opportunity to be a part of his process in their lives. Discipleship isn't you making a person strong. Discipleship is you pointing them at the Holy Spirit, (laughs) right? I always say, and this sounds kind of sacrilegious, so I'll be careful how I word it. I always say the Holy Spirit has a couple big problems, right? I'm being being sarcastic here. He's really perfect. He doesn't have any problems. But his two big problems are that he's invisible and inaudible. You can ignore somebody that's invisible and inaudible. But you're not invisible and inaudible. You are loud and obnoxious. (laughs) Or maybe not loud obnoxious, but you can be if you want. So discipleship is being able to take somebody that's younger in their faith than you are and say, hey, look what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. You see that? You see what he wants you to do? Oh, gosh. You see this step that he wants you to take? Isn't that cool? Let's do it together. I'll help you take that step. Does that make sense? So you get to be a co-laborer, 1 Corinthians 3, nine, with God himself in developing this person to maturity. That's his desire. And here's what's so exciting, guys, is it's no mistake that God has put you in that place. right? When you get to disciple someone, it's not just a coincidence. It's not just an accident that he put you there. He put you there because he desired you to invest in their life. Think about the stories that will come out of your discipleship investments over time. Russ has been doing this over 40 years. And I guess the way the story goes is somebody that Russ led to Christ and disciple, uh, disciple Tony Dungy, who is a... Super Bowl winning coach, huge evangelist, always sharing his faith, an amazing guy. But he was discipled by somebody that was discipled by Russ. Other stories would be the guy that started Promise Keepers was discipled by somebody that was discipled by somebody that was discipled by somebody by Russ. I guess it was three generations away or four generations. I'm not sure. But anyway, both these two leaders in the Christian movement in our country uh, come somehow from Russ's ministry 30, 40 years back. Isn't that exciting? Right, all every one of us staff members has met somebody in a in a city far from here, right? That knew and was discipled and led to Christ by Russ at a different ministry, uh, just kind of out of the blue. Aaron and I it was at a wedding. We were at a wedding. We met somebody, and everybody's eating snacks. And the guy says, "So where are you guys from?" We said, Drango. He goes, "What do you guys do?" We said, "We're on staff at the Master Plan Ministries." The guy goes. Russ Aikens, he led me to Christ back in the 70s, and then he discipled me. You tell Russ Aikens, I say hi. <laughs> That's so bizarre, man, at this random wedding in Denver. We run into this guy. Another time, we were at a pastor's conference, and this Russ stands up, and he says, Yeah, I'm Russ Aikens, lead Master Plan Ministries. And about ten minutes later, this other pastor stands up and says, Hey, do you remember me? You led me to Christ and discipled me years back in Michigan. Just coincidence. That's <laughs> more well, right. And we we hear these stories all the time. We have staff members that have run into people in Africa that are missionaries in Africa that are led to Christ and disciples. What I'm saying, guys, is when you invest in somebody, you might not get all the glory. Does that make sense? You might not be able to say, look at my congregation of 5,000 people. Okay. But when you invest in 10, 20, 100, 500 people, all across the world, they're continuing to multiply, spiritual multipliers. And you're a part of that. That's exciting news, and it only happens with discipleship, right? It only happens with discipleship. So the Bible refers to new believers as babes in Christ, okay? 1 Peter 2.2. 2. It says some, some inter- interesting things there. But as with any newborn, there needs to be a critical sensitivity to their needs, right? Little Kara needs to eat every two hours. Otherwise, she's going to scream like crazy. But seriously, a new believer, a new Christian is just the same way. There have been a few people that have trusted Christ very recently, right? And those people need to be poured into, just like a newborn baby. They might need to eat spiritually every two hours, right? You might have a good quiet time in the morning. You're eating. We all need to eat constantly, right? But especially these young believers, they need just a pouring and investment of God's Word to help them grow into maturity, right? Uh, that pure milk is God's word, guys. It is God's word, and it's what they need so desperately. Remember, too, in Second Peter three nine, that it says that God is patient with us, right? So we need to be patient with them as they grow, just like you'd have to be patient with a newborn baby. Sometimes it might be frustrating. I promise you, when you do discipleship, you're going to find that if you want somebody to be Christ-like, you're going to have to deal with their flesh. Isn't okay, that interesting? Somebody can't become Christ-like without their flesh getting taken out of the way. They're not going to become Christ-like without taking up their cross and dying to themselves. They're not going to become Christ-like without losing themselves. But when you're dealing with a brand new Christian, they don't even yet know that, right? And a lot of those things, when they come up, those opportunities for their flesh to die, who are they going to get mad at? The invisible Holy Spirit? Or the audible, visible person pointing them at the Holy Spirit. That's who they're going to get mad. You might get discipleship dumped. <laughs> that happened to you before? More than, once. More than once. right? You might have somebody lash out at you. And you need to realize, just like a newborn baby might start screaming, because she is, re- she, like Austin says, maybe she took a spiritual dump. <laughs> In our accountability, Austin will call me up and he goes, Nate, I just want to make sure you're not taking some big spiritual dump. <laughs> classic. (laughs) But seriously, that's a crazy mental image, but that is what a baby goes through, right? I need to eat. I'm going to take a big spiritual dump. I'm going to cry like crazy and get mad, right? All those things you should expect and be okay with, right? Because you're being patient with that young babe in Christ, just like Jesus is patient with you. Now, here's the next principle. Uh, So, uh, help them grow. I'm going to put... And then, specifically under that, I'm going to put the Bible, huge, because that is how they grow. Without Scripture, the Holy Spirit doesn't have anything to work with, right? The Holy Spirit is the driving force of their growth, but he has to have something to work with, right? And what he works with is God's Word. He works with the Bible, right? Now, discipleship is something that has to be caught. The coffee's out. And... Why did I why did I put those backwards? Caught and taught. Why am I not writing? Right, it is A, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) How that looked weird for some reason. Okay, taught. Caught and taught. What does that mean? Anybody know? What do you think, Leah? Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, you have to be taught, but then you also have to catch it yourself. Now, here's, here is a good example. A lot of Bible teaching in our society is centered around what? Accumulation of knowledge, right? It's just an accumulation of biblical knowledge, accumulation of biblical history, accumulation of da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, apologetical information. All that has a place, and all of it is good. But alone, what happens with that? What does James one twenty two say? Remember this? Oh. Be doers of the word. Doers? Not? Hearers. Why? Deceiving yourself. Deceive yourself. An accumulation of knowledge without application results in deception. Isn't that interesting? And that has become the cornerstone of Christianity today. We have entire churches and denominations whose leadership is scared to death to share their faith. They're scared to death to take a stand. You guys, taking a stand is hard. <laughs> I'm in the middle of it right now. But what I'm saying, guys, is there. if if you're not willing to take these hard stands, to share your faith, to do things that God has called you to in this society, you're never going to go anywhere. That stuff is hard. But what happens is when we know we're supposed to do it and we don't do it, we start to believe lies. I shouldn't do it. Right? And we've shared in this very class before, people do that with tithing. I know I'm supposed to tithe. I rationalize that I can't because I don't have enough money to, right? So I don't tithe. And then what do I really believe? God won't provide for my needs. I can't afford to tithe. See how it's a down- downward spiral, right? It's a self-fulfilling prophecy of sorts because Jesus said, or the, the Bible already says that God's going to provide for your needs. But what about evangelism? I'm told I'm supposed to share my faith. I don't share my faith. What do I start to believe? Nobody wants to hear me share my faith. Well, Jesus said the harvest is right, right. So if I'm not being a doer of the word, I'm going to walk in deception. I'm going to start being deceived. So what happens to this newborn baby right? if they are getting deceived right off the bat? You're, let's say you're teaching them all the best scripture every single week when you meet, but you're not getting them in the action. What happens? Every hour of your discipleship indirectly results in more confusion for that person. That's scary. So there has to be a balance between teaching and helping them catch it. And helping them catch it only happens in action. It doesn't happen in a classroom like this, or it doesn't happen necessarily over a cup of coffee. Well, it could, right, if you're inviting somebody else to be a part of that. That's why you'll remember times where we shared our faith together, right? Or where I encouraged you. I said, why don't you lead a Bible study, or why don't you do discipleship? And see, when you start taking those steps, you're applying what you've learned, and then there's no deception. You actually start to see it. Holy cow, God came through for me. Holy Jesus, I should say. Not holy. Uh, Holy Jesus, in a good way. right? Not in a using his name in vain way. This guy came to Christ. This guy took a step of faith. The Bible study actually happened. People grew. It wasn't a bomb. That talk at Connect went well. People actually learned. They actually grew. They actually came up and told me it really helped them in their walk. I can't believe God used me. You see what happens internally? Somebody catches it. Isn't that what happened with each of you? It had to be caught and taught. Okay? So what we encourage people to do is as you're helping this young believer get in God's word, you also want to help this young believer apply God's word and do God's word so this young believer can see God come through for him. Steve Shadrach puts in the fuel in the flame that his first discipleship appointment with every new believer, he does evangelism. Just to start from the very start, helping them have that foundation of being outward focused. That's cool. We've never done that. We've always, always thought that might be a little too much too soon. But, hey, might be a very good idea, right? So, this is important. As you do this, you have to have been there, right? So, I'm going to put get them the action. You can't teach something that you haven't caught yourself. What if you're just teaching head knowledge? That's not going to go anywhere, right? So you have to be further down the road than them. But how much further? You have to be 27 years older in Christ than them? How about one year older in Christ? I think just any amount. Right? Because you have that much talk. Okay, Ashley, you became, you put your trust in Christ, you started this relationship with God. When? Last year. Last year, okay. Now, I'm trying to think of one of the girls that maybe has begun a relationship with Christ this year. Kelsey. Okay, Kelsey, let's say Kay. <laughs> okay, could you invest in her life, right? You think she's going to go, uh-uh, you're, you've only been doing this a year, you don't know things. See, at some point, if you're further down the road than this person, it doesn't matter by how much. Again, you're not the main deal. The Holy Spirit is. <laughs> a one-year-old Christian can be a good, obnoxious pointer at the Holy Spirit. You can you can point people at Jesus, right? You can point people at his word. You can help them take some steps that you've taken in the last year, right? So you don't need to set yourself up to some expectation that's unbelievable, right? Uh-huh. Okay, consider the difference, guys. Look at the ripple effect of, of people not being made into disciples. Where is Christianity at today? Our divorce rates are, are the same or higher than the rest of the world. Okay? Barna's done research in the last few years and found that Christians' lifestyles are no different than the rest of the world. They sleep around just as much. They smoke pot just as much. They drink alcohol just as much. I'm not saying that drinking in moderation is bad. You can determine your own convictions about that between you and God. But what I am saying is drunkenness is, partying is, revelry is, all this stuff. And Christians do that statistically as much as the world. Right? We're living hypocritical lives. And that's the big criticism that the world has against us. Okay, so seriously, that is the ripple effect of not being discipled. Right? Sometimes a few of you are going to have to have some hard conversations in discipleship where you sit down with somebody and challenge them hard. And it's not fun necessarily. But you're speaking the truth straight from God's Word and letting the Holy Spirit deal with them. And seriously, we, did, we had to do this with somebody a few weeks ago. When you do this, you simply use God's Word and then back off. You, don't, you can't have bad boundaries and try and excuse God. You can't try and help God out and help them not feel bad. You just use God's Word and let the Holy Spirit work in their heart afterwards. Right? And they have to respond to the Holy Spirit. And they have to make some decisions, and they have to take some steps. And sometimes it's not going to be good. Sometimes it's going to be, I'm done with you guys, I'm out of here. And I'm going to gossip about you guys. I hope that doesn't happen in any of your cases. We've seen it, though, and it probably will, so expect it. But you guys, I can promise you one thing. As you take those steps to invest in somebody and point at the Holy Spirit, they're becoming a disciple of Christ. They're starting to take the steps that they need to take. And the result is a Christian that's a whole lot different than the world. The result is a Christian that actually is a representation of Christ, that actually is a light to this world, that actually is going to be a multiplying spiritual multiplier until Jesus comes back. So here's the encouragement, and then we'll go through a few guidelines. Some of them are very similar to last week, so we'll do this fast and get out of here in about 15 minutes. The encouragement is choose every day to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because you can't disciple somebody unless you're also being a disciple. Right? Choose every day to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, regardless of the cost. Living every day filled and controlled by his spirit. Remember? Without being filled with the spirit, I can't do this discipleship process. Growing in grace and knowledge in the fruit of the spirit, so that God can use your life and words to reach people for him. All right? Look at First Thessalonians 2, 7 through 12 for a great example of that. Living a godly life, investing in people, making disciples. 1 Thessalonians 2 7 through 12. The next choice you have, right, is to follow Jesus. He said, No man can serve two masters. And if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So the encouragement is to decide today that I'm going to be a disciple maker following Christ. And I'm going to be committed to him, determined and purposed and undistracted in making disciples. That true all right now if you've clearly chosen to follow him and as you walk in the spirit you're going to be a multiplying spiritual multiplier and you're going to be able to make disciples now here's what I want to encourage you with the Great commission is what we like to call the third greatest commandment all right the third greatest commandment because there's no other commandment in scripture other than the first and second greatest commandments that Christ puts so much authority on when he said all authority has been given to me so do this by the way those were his last words to us before he left this earth, right? So it's the third greatest commandment, and it's a way of fulfilling the first and second greatest commandments. Remember, to love God and to love others. right? When I fulfill the Great Commission, I'm loving God because I'm obeying him and doing what's close to his heart. And when I fulfill the Great Commission, I'm loving my brothers because I'm helping them grow in their walks with God and reaching those that aren't yet Christians for him. So honestly, guys, the, the Great Commission is the third greatest commandment and a way of fulfilling the first and second greatest commandments. It is so extremely important. So here are some practical guides. Look at these discipleship examples. In Luke 6, 12 through 16, Jesus calls the 12. He goes to them and he sets up their discipleship appointments, so to say. Jesus doesn't wait and say, uh, Matthew, are you going to come talk to me? But he goes and says, come and follow me. You can read about it in Luke 6. 2 Timothy 2.2. We need to read that verse. Somebody want to, somebody, Leah, will you read 2 Timothy 2.2? All right. This is kind of the best picture of multiplicational discipleship that we see in Scripture. So, read it. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Okay. So, who do we have there? Who are the four generations? Who's Paul talking to? Timothy. Okay, so Timothy would be the second spiritual generation there. Who's the first? Paul, right? So read it again. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Okay, so who's the third generation? Reliable men. Reliable men. Uh, A lot of translations say faithful men, so I'm going to use that because faithful men, and then others. You see how Paul set up that process of multiplication in 2 Timothy two 2? 2 Timothy goes Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men, faithful men to others also. And if we continue that process, you always get multiplication continuing. It never ends. It keeps on going. And that's what Paul is commanding Timothy to do. That's how multiplication, how discipleship should work, right? So as you think about that, we're going to get to what it means to, to invest in faithful men in just a minute. But look at a few other examples. In 1 Thessalonians 1 and then again in chapter 2, I mentioned that a minute ago, Paul talks about how he discipled the Thessalonians. Really interesting things. Write these down. These are important passages about discipleship also. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Acts one eight says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jer- Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Again, multiplication to the ends of the earth. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Awesome. 2 Timothy 2.2, we just read it. And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Ephesians 5.15-18. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so be careful, guys, how we walk. Do this whole process Intentionally. So here's how a young disciple is going to develop best. They're going to develop in four contexts. Now, I'm going to write these down. We're going to get back to faithful men in a minute because it will make sense at that time. But here are the four contexts of discipleship. All right, context number one is meeting one-on-one weekly. You have to have some regularity, some frequency. Then, also, meeting in a weekly Bible study. This is where in, that, in the say in the Save Growth group example, or in any of those Bible studies, the idea is for the leader, let's go back and say it's Jake. He's leading a Bible study, but he's also discipling these guys. Does that make sense? So here are these guys over here. And this is kind of hard. It doesn't seem to always happen this cleanly. Because <laughs> it's kind of a, it's a process, right? But in a perfect world, you're, you're leading a Bible study, so you're getting to be together every week in that Bible study. But you're also discipling each of the guys in that Bible study on a weekly basis where you get to personally invest in their lives. So they're growing in this group too, right? The next one would be a large Weekly meeting. What's that in our case? Yeah, here'd be connect because that's where we actually get to see people other than just the people in our little Bible study. And if there's not that broader context of fellowship, discipleship really can't happen in an effective way, right? Because we need to be exposed to the whole body of Christ. And then finally, uh, consistent outreach and evangelism. What happens when you end here, at number three? Just become a fishbowl, right? A little fishbowl. Everybody's looking at each other and so excited about how much we know, and nobody's actually applying it like we just said. Nobody's actually doing it, right? So those are the four contexts. One-on-one weekly meetings, Bible studies weekly, large groups weekly, Consistent outreach and evangelism on a frequent and regular basis. Those things are necessary for discipleship to happen effectively. Okay. So those are the four contexts. That being said, I want to encourage you guys to invite everybody you possibly can to connect tomorrow. We actually had to pay to get a license for a really cool movie. It's going to be super awesome. We're going to have popcorn, and we're going to start Angels and Mortals. It'll be exciting. So encourage everybody you know to be there. Now, getting back to the faith Christian when we think of the type of Christian that you want to invest in. Okay? So you're doing these four contexts with somebody. In a minute, we're going to talk about uh, kind of how you need to determine if the person you're working with is this kind of person before you keep going. But what is the first one? Anybody know? Faithful. Faithful. What happens if you try to disciple somebody that's not faithful? And by faithful, I mean they do what they say. They are dependable. Does that make sense? Right? They're they're not going to Back out. What happens if you're trying to invest in somebody that's not faithful? Like not show up, so. It's a waste of your time. Yeah. yeah. It's a complete waste of your time and their time the times that they do show up. Right? They're not a bad person, you should still be their friend, but you probably should not invest a whole lot of time in somebody's life that is not faithful. Right? I in my and this is a secret, and <laughs> not a secret. You guys can know. But usually for me, I, I give a guy about three shots. If they blow me off three times, I'm not going to take the initiative to keep meeting with them. I'll let them come to me when they're ready. Does that make sense? And when they come to me and say, hey, I really want to meet together. Well, they can prove that they really want to meet together. But that's, that's a big one. Okay, what's the next one? No. Available. Okay, available. What if somebody's not available? They're the neatest Christian student you've ever met in your life, but they have 27 credit hours and four jobs. It's going to be impossible you... to meet with them. Impossible. It's going to be impossible to meet with them, much less get them in a Bible study every week, much less get them at Connect every week, much less what? get them in Outreach every week. Those four contexts cannot happen if somebody's not available. It just doesn't work. I struggle with this. I always I always get the most awesome Christian guys named Dave. This is so weird. Every year almost, there's a Dave that is so awesome, has so much going for him, such a good heart for God, but they are so busy, probably because they're so awesome. (laughs) Right? Everybody sees how awesome they are, and they get committed pretty fast. And everything in me wants to invest in these guys. I'm like, oh, I want to invest in you because you're such an awesome guy. But i got to just back down and realize, well, they're awesome because the Holy Spirit's in them, and the Holy Spirit's not going to bail on them because I can't invest in them. I just need to trust them to God. Does that make sense? And if their schedule lightens up and they can and we we can connect more, then great. But until then I just trust God with them. I can't I can't kill myself trying to meet with somebody that would be great to meet with. But it's just not really gonna work out. Now what's I? We're gonna have to adopt Steve Shadrach's acronym. Steve Shadrach wrote The Feel and the Flame, and he came up with the exact same acronym for discipleship that we use, but only one letter different. Unbelievable. And that letter, actually, several times we talked about switching to that letter, or to that exact word that he uses. So, our old word is interactive. interactive. And the reason we say interactive is because what if somebody that you're trying to disciple will not talk to you? It's hard to work with them. But more important than that, you can disciple somebody that's quiet. So, this next word that Steve Shadrach uses at this point in the acronym is even more important. And that is Initiative. You can't make somebody a self-starter. Does it make sense? You can't make somebody a self-starter. Remember what we talked about this week after we hiked that that stinking elk out of the woods? That was hard, huh? That was rough. I was pretty pumped that I beat you guys though. <laughs> I got up to the top. I, like, yes. I looked back and I'm just like, Oh my God! No, don't beat me. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, when you start getting older, you have you, you you have to force yourself to do things that people younger than you do, just to make sure that you don't die. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, uh, but what what? Remember what we talked about Howard Henry, Howard Hendricks says the measure of a man or the measurable the measure of a person is what does it take to start you, and what does it take to stop you? If it takes a whole lot to start you and very little to stop you, you are not much of a person, right? You might think you're much of a person, but you're not. (laughs) Romans 12.3 tells us not to think more highly of yourself than you ought. Okay, well, you ought to think of yourself in relation to those two barriers. How much does it take to get me going, and how much does it take to stop me? If it takes 19 people dragging me and calling me all day just to go do something, and the second there's a little opposition, I'm out, okay, well, then you have to do some growing. But on the flip side of the coin, if it takes very little to start you and a whole lot to stop you, then you are someone, by the grace of God. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus, right? Uh, And because he's grown you to someone. Now, that person is a person of initiative. And until you're a person of initiative, you're not going to go anywhere with God. And the person that you're discipling, until they're a person of initiative, they're probably not going to go anywhere with God. That's so why when we met you the very first night, boom, I'm on the praise band. I'm ready to serve. Right? That, to me, said initiative, 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 initiative.
1: <laughs> Does that make sense?
0: Nobody had to say, come on, do it. No, I don't feel like it. I feel weird. I feel awkward. I've never even been to this meeting before. And you want me to be on, on the stage? Are you crazy? Okay, no, initiative. So look for initiative. You can't make somebody a self-starter, but if you choose to invest in self-starters, they're going to keep multiplying. And I've seen this. If you choose to invest in people that aren't self-starters, they're not going to keep multiplying. I promise you that. All right. Now, what's the T? Tea? Teachable. Teachable. Okay. Teachable. Okay, if somebody's not teachable, it kind of goes without saying, you shouldn't try to teach them. <laughs> it's just not going to work. It's, uh, it's not going to happen. Right? And on the flip side of the coin, when somebody is teachable, it's pretty awesome. I've had guys before that I challenged with Scripture to the point where they started crying. Guys, like crying and tears hitting the table in the middle of the cafeteria. And I'm feeling like, oh my gosh, I feel awkward because everybody's looking at me talking to this guy and this guy is crying. Okay? Gosh, I had to just say Nate. And that's the whole. It's him and the Holy Spirit that can work together. That guy didn't get mad at me. He didn't get upset with me. He actually asked me to keep discipling him. He was teachable, right? Does that make sense? He was teachable. So, look for people that are teachable and they're going to keep growing, right? They're going to keep growing. Finally, what's the most important characteristic to look for? Heart for God. A heart for God. If somebody doesn't have a heart for God, they're not going to grow in their relationship with God. Now, all these things, guys, all these things are going to be there at a minimal level and they're going to grow. You don't have to look for somebody that's perfectly faithful, perfectly available perfectly interactive, has tons of initiative, is always teachable, and has a great heart for God right off the bat. If you find somebody like that, ask them to disciple you. Okay? So you want to look for some some aspect of those in some recognizable quantity to keep investing. You don't look for perfection because you're not there yet either. Right? So some guidelines to follow as you begin discipling a younger Christian. Pray for that person. Build a relationship and credibility with them. Do fun stuff together as much as you can. You might be limited by time and schedule and things like that, but do your best. When we got to go hunting together, that to me was just like our our whole Bible study is gutting out an elk together, (laughs) pretty much. I thought, this is awesome. This is so awesome. I loved it, right? Okay, be personable, relatable, and genuinely interested in their life. You're not just a teacher and they're the student. This is a relationship that's being built. Be real with them. Remember, who you are to a person determines a lot of what he takes in from you. Don't blow your credibility. Don't be a hypocrite to them. Be honest with them about where you're really at. Let them see that you're also growing with God. You're not perfect. Share struggles with them. Pray together. Ask them to pray for you. When you guys text me and say you're praying for me, that means a whole lot to me. A whole lot to me. Okay? Answer their questions first, and then proceed to the material that you want to go over. Make sure that they're growing at the level that they need to be growing at. Don't preach at them. Ask as many questions as you can. Always help them see the Bible as the only source of truth. Right? They need to be discipled, according to Scripture, by the Holy Spirit's power, to be Christ's disciple. Right? And we have to use his word, not a book, not whatever. You can use tools, like the discipleship packet, but what is the discipleship packet full of? The Bible, Scripture, okay? A tool that isn't full of Scripture is not a good tool. All right. As you're talking, write out verses, diagrams, and illustrations on a paper and give them those. Let them take something home with them, right? Maybe in the discipleship packet. If you don't have time to finish whatever material you're going through, just continue next time. Too much, too soon, too bad, too little, too late, so sad. Ashley, what if the day after you became Christian, Leah said, Ashley, 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 Ashley. We're at a retreat, right? So it's at a retreat. What if she says, okay, we well, just became a Christian. This is so exciting. How about you do the talk tomorrow night? <laughs> you're done. <laughs> um, these guys are, they are weirdos. I knew it. They're weirdos. I'm not coming back, right? Too much, too sad. Too much, too late, too sad. Too bad. Too little, too late, so sad. What if you're, you were sitting here today and nobody would ever taken you sharing your faith? That'd be too little, too late. Remember the first time you got to share your faith was about two months after you became a Christian. And what happened? It was amazing. amazing. You saw God come through for you, right? So you remember this balance. You're helping them take the next step. You're not helping them take 20 steps from now or 15 steps back. You're helping them take the step that they need to take today. Okay. Remember that they don't yet think, talk, or act like a Christian. You might hear this baby Christian cussing. Okay. Well, instead of spending the whole appointment reaming him out for cussing, just get him back to God's Word. He's going to work through minor issues over time. right? You can share scripture, appropriate scripture with him. But don't blow him out of the water. Check this out. Don't talk in heavy Christian religious language. Don't talk Christianese. Don't uh, or Do not try to communicate deep, deep theological issues. Keep it simple. We always say it's the KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> Do not verbally or non-verbally communicate a standard of performance or legalism to this precious young believer. You want to help them grow in the freedom that they have in Christ and nothing else. Don't spiritualize everything to them. Be real. Be yourself. Meet once or twice each week and uh, make sure that that's consistent and do not get discouraged. It's like what you said, and that really encouraged me. Even if somebody you're discipling isn't necessarily the best discipleship situation you guys we we don't do things um circumstantially but by faith okay right okay finally here's some appointment tips and we're going to close it out go to them and set the uh, initial appointment up uh first don't expect them to come to you right always call them the night before make sure they're ready for it and at the end of each appointment set up a next one encourage them in their quiet times and at the third appointment you need to make a critical decision guys you need to go back and look at this faith diagram, or this faith acronym, and you need to decide, is this person somebody that meets these criteria? If I've had three scheduled appointments and they haven't shown up for two, and they couldn't do it because they are working four jobs, and they wouldn't talk to me when they were there, and they won't do anything other than meet with me, and they really didn't like it when I challenged them about that one issue, and they kind of got a foot in their walk with God and a foot in the world. right? If you're evaluating somebody like that, you need to have the good boundaries after a few appointments, like say three, to say, I shouldn't be investing a whole lot of time in this person. All right? And if they do meet these criteria, you need to say, I am locked in, and I'm not letting this guy get away no matter what. <laughs> okay, all right. You guys, use the discipleship packet. Use it. It lays a good foundation. It's not everything. You can keep going from there. It comes out of over 40 years of discipleship, and it's going to be phenomenal. right? Remember, it's going to take doing this a while before you get comfortable at it. And this is the end. Be patient with yourself. Discipleship takes time to learn. You're going to have some pitfalls. You're going to have some mountaintops. You're going to have some great experiences and some hard experiences. Just keep going. Don't get discouraged and say, it's not for me. Jesus, your Savior, called you to do this. So do it. Even when it's hard. Guys, even when it's hard. You guys, you can win this world for Christ. There's never been a time in history where this was possible. Seriously, the Apostle Paul could not come to North America and preach the gospel. Isn't that nuts? You can go anywhere in this world and preach the gospel. You can pick up a cell phone and call anywhere in this world. You can share a website with anybody in this world. You guys, nobody in the history of the world, not even my grandparents, or frankly, even my parents until now, had the resources or abilities available to your generation to fulfill the Great Commission. Right? You guys have it. So 33 years from now, 32 or 33 years from now, let's see this world one for Jesus. Let's see this world one for Jesus. Be committed to this process. Do it till the day you die, and we're going to see great results. So let's pray and give it to God. And I want to encourage you guys to live a life of making disciples and multiplying spiritual multipliers. All right, so let's have one. Ashley, will you just pray and close it out? That would be great. Dear God, I just- end.